Well, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for allowing me to share. It's, uh, it's great to be in Townsville again. This is, I think, my third trip to Townsville. It's much, much greener here than it was the last time I visited. So I think this is the, um, I, was, I heard yesterday, this is the best time to visit Townsville. Is that correct? Best time of the year. Nice and green. Beautiful weather. Yeah. So I'm not used to being a southerner. Uh, most of my team is in Melbourne, and so usually they're the southerners, but I come to Townsville and I'm the southerner. So it's a little bit different. Um, in my family, there are Four members, I've got two boys, a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old boy, and also my wife Megan and myself. Two of us are Bronco supporters, two of us are Cowboy supporters. So like Friday last week was very awkward at our house. You could probably guess who the Bronco supporters are. Awkward much. Anyway, let's not that come between our unity as brothers and sisters this morning. A few weeks ago, I was in my home church, and uh, it's a church that I've only been a part of for about uh, probably three months, and so I don't yet know uh, who has been there since the foundations were laid of the building, and who is you know, there for the first time today on this Sunday. And so I had a fair idea, though, because there's this guy sitting in the foyer, and uh, yeah, he, he looked like you know, life was tough for him, he had, he had covered in tats, he had uh, tracky dacks on, no one was talking to him. Um, but I knew the service was coming up in just a few minutes, and I thought, oh, I really need to go and talk to this guy, but I didn't have a lot of time. So I went and sat down, I, say, I said, hey man, how you doing? My name's Warren. And he, and he sort of went, oh, yeah, I'm Paul. I said, how's, how's things going for you? And he said, yeah, not too bad, you know, not too bad. And so we had this kind of to and fro where I asked a question, he gave me like a one or two word answer, which is very stilted, there's no momentum. I'm looking at the clock, I'm thinking, I really need to keep rolling here. And uh, anyway, I went to stand up, and I just felt the Lord prompt me to say, no, don't, don't stand up. Just, just persist and, and be a bit bold. And so I turned to him and I said, um, first time at church? He said, no, I've been, been a couple of times before. And I said, you know what? First time I went to church, and for a while after I started going to church, I really struggled because I wasn't from a church background. I became a Christian in my 20s. And I said, getting used to that whole church culture, you know, all the, the church scene, I said, it was really hard. And he, and he kind of leaned forward and he got interested and he said, yeah. He said, well, why did you go? I went, why did I go? Well, I met Jesus. You know, God revealed himself to me in this incredible way. I always knew that God was real, but I always thought that God was like this, you know, this ogre that had a stick. And every time I got something wrong, he, he belt me with the stick. You know, and so I was kind of afraid of God, and I felt guilty before God. But then one day He intervened, and and I realized for the first time that that's what the cross was all about: was actually Jesus taking that guilt and, and setting me free of that, and giving me life eternal with Him. And you know, He turned to me and He said, "You know, I'm not there yet, but I reckon I'm on the right road." I thought, how cool was that? You know, that I was able to share my story, and really it wasn't even my story, it's really God's story. It's just my small part in it, because God's always been in the business of redeeming and, and restoring and, uh, and garnering praise from, from people. His instrument, the church, exists to, to testify, to proclaim the glory of God throughout the world today and for eternity, but, but I'm quite convinced for his church to speak in that way, the church needs to, or we need to as a church, have our collective hearts on fire for God. We need to speak out of the overflow of our collective hearts. And I think it's very difficult for us to proclaim the glory of God 
the beauty of Christ to anyone unless we are absolutely captivated by it ourselves. So if we are bold, we need to see how beautiful Christ really is. Do you like the title of my sermon? The Bold and the Beautiful. It's very creative, isn't it? When I come up, I'm like, yeah, that's snappy. I like that. Uh, as, as Pastor Gary mentioned, uh, I work for Operation Mobilization or OM. You know, and we have these conversations. We, we ask these questions, especially during COVID time. Why has one third of the world still not heard the name of Jesus? Like one third of the world, nearly three billion people have not heard the name of Jesus or had no sufficient sort of gospel witness they could understand who he is. Why do so few people go to the mission field? Why is it that those who do go, only 3% of all missionaries who go cross-culturally go to these least reached or unreached places? And we ask these questions like, is it our mobilising strategy? Is it our discipleship structures? Is uh, Is it all of these technical kind of things that we do? You know, I could be wrong, but I think it's much more fundamental than that. I think if we are going to take bold steps in sharing Jesus, we have to behold his beauty. We have to gush, gush with praise as we rekindle our heart's desire for Christ. Our hearts burning within us so much so that we are like the the woman at the well who says, come see a man. To have that desire to come see this man, Jesus Christ. But for us, of course, there's always the challenge of apathy, the challenge of familiarity, of the cares of this life choking our growth and our witness. And in fact, many challenges we face. But we can be very thankful that God has given us his word to help us understand and to navigate these challenges and to encourage us in them. And we'll have a look at some of those this morning as we turn to Acts chapter 4. Kids have already gone, so they can't go again. Okay, so the setting is that the apostles John and Peter have healed a crippled beggar at the temple. They're teaching the the Jewish crowd and upsetting the religious elite. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they, the apostles John and Peter were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But for many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So quite understandably, the Sadducees were upset. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They certainly didn't believe that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. So Peter and John were, in their eyes, just spreading this complete heresy and, of course, doing it in the temple, God's holy place, no less. So by putting John and Peter in prison, maybe they would be scared into submission, scared into silence. Maybe we can induce fear into them. And I wonder what a, a night in prison would do for us when it comes to our bold witness. But we see that persecution comes when those with different opinions than us choose to exercise power over us. We often think persecution is a specific attack upon Christianity. And spiritually speaking, perhaps we're right. Spiritual warfare is a reality. But often persecution arises, in a practical sense, out of the paranoia of governments or dictators who are afraid of having their power challenged. They fear social unrest. So when they persecute Christians, they often persecute other minorities 
people with different worldviews or practices. So whether it is opposition that is growing in Australia or persecution that we see taking place overseas, we can expect to be challenged by those with different beliefs and opinions. But note something very important. The masses, the people here, are not in line with what the rulers are trying to impose on them. They're not succumbing to this fear, but rather they're coming to faith in their thousands. This fear has not pervaded the people. And that, friends, is happening today, all over the world, under the nose of persecutors in Iran, in China, in other parts of Asia, in the Middle East. People are coming to faith in their thousands. And their thousands, praise God. And social media and the internet is a really big part of that. Um, I've sat in Asian villages so far off the beaten track with people who have basically nothing, and they have better phone internet coverage than I do at my house in Brisbane. True story. You, know, you sit in the dirt with them, they've got clothes that don't fit, they've got this awesome internet. You know, that, I don't know if you can see that sign in the, in the back where we're seated at the table, that's a Unitel, that's like an advertisement for 3G. But young people are global citizens who can Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok and keep up with Kardashians from anywhere in the world. And they do. And they are no longer satisfied with the narratives that they get from their village elders, from their governments. And so if we are bold, we have opportunity like never before to share the beauty of Christ. That may be with an Iranian in Iran or it may be someone who lives right next door to you in Townsville. So you must understand there is a challenge, but there is also a great opportunity for us to boldly share the beauty of Christ. So what happens next in verses 5 to 12? On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done by a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the big guns have been brought in, the high priest and his family, and they're asking this striking question, by what name, by what power did you do this? Now, presumably they're they're referring to the healing of the crippled beggar. Now, put yourself... In the, in the shoes of Peter and John for just a moment, they're standing before this council, this same council that had sent Jesus to Pontius Pilate and to crucifixion. So they've got plenty of reasons to be afraid. Plenty of reasons. They could expect to be flogged, probably at a minimum. And so they have to respond to this question. Now, the second challenge that we face, the second challenge we see in this passage is that We have to speak up when it's difficult to do so. And that can be a great challenge. When self-preservation kicks in and fear kicks in, the idea of speaking truth to power is only possible when our power is greater. And we see that here, that Peter, 
in verse 8 is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only names Jesus as they requested, he doesn't just give them this response that they asked for, but he then goes on to accuse them of crucifying him. And he uses this language which is... um, which harkens back to the Old Testament and to Messianic prophecy, when he talks about the cornerstone, when he talks about salvation. And he knows that those rulers understand exactly what he's talking about. By which name? By the power of whom are you doing this? Well, the name of Jesus. There is no other name. And unless we adopt the theology of universalism, that all people go to heaven, there is no other name that can bring salvation to three billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Or in fact, to your neighbour here in this city who maybe has heard the name of Jesus but has no idea of the relevance of the name of Jesus for their life. So it calls for boldness. And God gives us the power to be bold by the Holy Spirit. Not a a spirit of fear or timidity, but of boldness. As Jesus promised in Luke 21 verses 12 to 15, he was speaking to his disciples and he said, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. We are weak, but we are bold through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think in practice for many of us, it's not about being dragged before the courts. It's not a realistic fear for us today, but having the courage to speak up just in conversation when it's difficult to do so. Whether that's uh, just admitting that we go to church to the person at the Woolworths counter, right? It's just easy to dodge those little questions that might reveal our alliance, which might in turn become great opportunities to witness to our alliance. But I'm sure that um, many of us have shied away many times and know that I have not spoken when those opportunities are presented. And as an introvert, I find it much easier to avoid those situations and to withdraw than to engage. But it's nearly always worth it when I do. And I contend that a lot of the time we think it is much harder to speak than it is. And we get shut down far fewer times than we would expect. So when I talk about boldly proclaiming the gospel, it's not this grandiose kind of evangelism that I'm talking about. It's just opening our mouths when we know we should, but we're afraid to do. I went to the Middle East pre-COVID and before that, I went to the doctor to get some vaccinations and I met this very enthusiastic young doctor. He wanted to give me about 10 needles and I wasn't keen on that. I grew up, I had this phobia of needles growing up. I don't know why, you know. I think that, I don't know if it was my grandfather who used to tell me these stories about when they got the polio needles, you know, and they were like, you know, six inches thick and they jam them into their legs. I've still got, I can still feel it on a cold day. You heard those stories from your grandparents? Maybe it's just me. Anyway, he wants to jab me with all these needles and uh, I didn't like the idea of that. So he got a senior doctor to come and he said, no, you just need two. I said, thank you. Bless you. I love you. But anyway, the, the younger doctor, uh, we started to, to talk again. and He was from Iran, it turned out, and I said to him, he, actually, he asked why I was going to the Middle East, and I said, um, uh, one with a, a Christian organisation, uh, a Christian mission organisation, and he said to me, 
He said, oh, you know, so what are you doing there? And I said, oh, well, you know, we, I'm just going to see some of the ministry that OM's doing in, uh, in one of those countries over there. And we kept chatting, and I said to him, so tell me, are you Muslim? And he said, um, no, not really. He said, my parents are Muslim. He said, I kind of grew up, I know, culturally Muslim. It wasn't his words, but that's what he was saying. He said, but now that I'm in the West, um, he said, you know, I, I do believe there's God. He said, I don't know whether it's Allah or it's who it is, really. I said, well, I don't know if this would interest you, but I've been reading this book lately. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It was written by a guy called Nabil Qureshi. Uh, he had a Pakistani background. He grew up Muslim, went to university in America. Uh, he made friends with someone who was a Christian. Um, and he had this long journey where eventually he came to, to faith. You know, so maybe some of you have read the book. It's an incredible story. I said, he, within that journey, he illustrates some of the, the, the questions uh, that he was asking and some of the responses that he discovered. And this doctor turned to me and he said, can you write down the name of the book for me? I said, absolutely, of course. You know? And I was blown away. It was just a little thing that he would turn a notepad around and say, can you write down the name of the book for me so I can learn about this Jesus? And it's just a visit to the doctor, crying out loud. It wasn't the response I expected. It really wasn't. And I, and I can't liken that to the boldness of Peter standing before the council. I'm not, not suggesting that. But it was, it was the amount of boldness that was required in the moment. And, it, and it's often what we need to exercise, to take hold of these, these little God-ordained opportunities that he scatters throughout our lives. You know, I didn't ask this doctor to say the sinner's prayer. I just raised the question with him, just asked the question and just pointed him towards a resource, a, a way of finding an answer, a way to Jesus. It's not always as hard as we think it is. It really isn't. But I'm no evangelist and maybe you're not either, but I'm guessing that you have these same kinds of opportunities in your life. I'm sure they come up all the time and you're challenged with this idea of, do I speak up? Or do I remain silent? Let's return to our story and see how the religious rulers react to Peter's boldness. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So the religious leaders were astonished, and now they're the ones who are fearful. They're fearful of what they don't understand. They fear the spread of this heresy among the people and losing control. The name of Jesus is becoming the enemy and soon to become illegal. In many places in the world, another challenge to boldly witness is the legality of its practice. The power of God can be recognised, it can be, uh, and denied, sorry, because it is perceived as a threat. When visiting Asia, I sat with a pastor. Uh, he was a, a pastor in an underground church. And he talked about the persecution that they experienced. And he said this most remarkable thing. He said, we, are, we have in this country just the right amount of persecution. And I thought that was really curious. 
Like, wouldn't it be good to have no persecution? And like in Australia, wouldn't that be preferable? He said, no, he said, we have the right amount of persecution, not so much that we are so hard-pressed that we can't move, that we can't function, but enough to keep us from being settled, from being too comfortable, from being too comfortable. But the issue is there, as it is in many places, not whether Christianity is legal. Christianity is legal. You can believe what you want, but you cannot evangelise. You cannot try and convert anyone. Your faith must be your own and you cannot share it with another. That's illegal. Uh, You can see in the photo, that's actually my two boys, 16 and 14 years old, walking under the communist flag. Uh, It's always a poignant one. We flick through the photo album. I come to that photo every time and I just think, wow. It's just, a, it's just another world where the name of Jesus cannot be shared, not legally anyway. So the religious rulers, they, they really didn't care if Peter and John believed Jesus so much. That, that wasn't really the issue. I don't think they thought that they were going to change their minds. The problem was that they wouldn't keep their mouth shut and that would endanger the power that they had over the people. So in Australia, we hear, you know, you do you. We're a pluralistic society. You can be New Age, you can be Buddhist, you can be, um, you can be Christian, you can be whatever you want to be, really. Believe what you want. But if your belief conflicts with our developing cultural norms, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. So we have no such issue of legality in Australia today, but we are increasingly falling foul of public opinion, or at least as that is presented to us. We will likely find some of our biggest legal issues arising through discrimination law in the future. You can believe in Christ, but don't uh, voice your opinions about sexuality, particularly things like homosexuality. Don't say that's sinful or an offence to God. That is to offend the modern rule and sensibility of love, that love is love in all its possible forms. If you want to read a great book about that, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves is a great book that goes into some of these issues. Now, I have a homosexual member in my extended family. I've had friends, I've had acquaintances who, you know, have been great guys. I've got on really well with. But that's not the issue. I mean, they're sinners just like me. They need Jesus just like me. I'm a sinner, so are they. But I can't call good what God calls evil when it comes down to it. And so it's here in these kinds of things that we run foul of society at large. And I assume this is not news to you. From verse 18, so they called and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So our fourth challenge, to boldly persist in the face of all these challenges. Uh, It feels like we've kind of flown through this passage, at least to me, maybe not to you. (laughs) But for me, the verse that sticks out is this. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. For Peter and John, they they saw the glorified body of Christ. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw the transfigured Christ on the mountain. And they never forgot that vision. They never lost the beauty 
They never ceased being overwhelmed by the splendour of Jesus Christ. They were bold because they knew how beautiful he was. In the remainder of the book of Acts, we see them again and again and again speaking boldly. In the very next chapter in Acts 5, we see them standing before the same council and being flogged. And what do they do after that? They go out rejoicing for being worthy to suffer dishonour for the name of Jesus. Rejoicing. I find that challenging. Later in chapter 4, the believers pray for boldness because they recognise that they can't do it except for the grace and the power of God. Without His empowering, they can do nothing. And so our hearts too must be full of Christ that we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And boy, we, we just need his help. Because we can't do it otherwise, can we? We live in interesting times, I grant you that. But the challenges we face are not unique to our day. What is required to meet them is not novel, it's not unique, it is unchanging. Programs are great, strategy is great, evangelism training is great. Mission training is great. All those things are wonderful, but I put it to you, unless our hearts overflow with Christ, none of that's going to help us much. We can do all the evangelism training we want, but if our hearts aren't on fire for Christ, it won't make any difference. We'll have no motivation to put into action. And so I believe what Christ wants are our rendered, submitted hearts, much more than he wants our skill or ingenuity. I hope that when we leave this place, we really do think of challenge as opportunity and that we know our, we know our boldness empowered by the Holy Spirit really does impact and transform lives. And often that begins in those small moments that we can step forward into boldly. If you are someone who wants to have a conversation about taking the gospel to the three billion people in the world who have never heard of it, I'd love to chat with you. That's a massive, massive understatement. Love to chat with you. We have a young lady serving in South Africa at the moment. She's from Townsville. Uh, she's serving Somali people in South Africa. Now, I don't know if you know this, Somalia is number three on the Open Doors World Watch list one of the hardest places in the world to be a Christian. And yet she's able to minister to Somalis in South Africa, changing lives. Read her newsletters, I just overflow with joy. Young girl from Townsville. It's incredible. But even if you don't go, you have an important role in supporting those who do, especially to unreached people groups. I see your poster at the back there that lists all the, the various missionaries that you support, and I'm so encouraged by that. I just, uh, just encourage you in that and, and, and say to you what a wonderful thing it is that you have a heart to see lives transformed overseas as well as in your local city. You will be challenged by those who think differently. You will be challenged to speak up when it's difficult. You'll be challenged to respond to all those other challenges that come your way but Christ is greater than all of these. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to, to balk at those opportunities that he puts before us each day. 
And I'm not asking you to believe in yourself, but to believe in him, to be captivated by him, to go boldly in his strength and to make him known throughout the world, wherever God places you. Close with a quote from John Stott. He says, We should be jealous for the honour of his name, troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honour and glory which are due it. Please pray with me. Lord God, we are so thankful for the opportunities you give us. And Lord, today is not exercising guilt. It's, it's just not that. It's a reminder to us, Lord, that we need to remember our first love. That our mouths would overflow with the, from the fullness of our hearts. That as we behold the beauty and splendor of Christ, as we recall all that he's done for us, we cannot help but gush and say, come see a man. Lord, help us to be praying for those opportunities and to actively be seeking to identify them, to be listening to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. When we're about to walk away and you say, no, stay, be bold. When we see that half opportunity and, and let it slide, Lord, help us just to ask a question, to take a genuine interest in people, to truly love them by introducing them to Jesus. Lord, help us to be a part of that process. As we, we talked about over the weekend, it takes many exposures to the gospel sometimes for people to come to Christ. Lord, sometimes we're just a link in the chain, but help us to be a faithful and obedient link in that chain. Lord, none of our efforts go to waste. So embolden them and empower them. By your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.